Good morning, I'm Wimala. Today is August the 18th, speeding by. I think all the critters have decided we're having an early fall because they are, the squirrels are even bulking up like they do for the winter. So today we'll continue, I'll be reading from a heart as wide as the world. And uh, then we'll sit together. So why don't we read first? I hope all of you are doing well. Uh, around here in our area, around Crystal Lake and Woodstock, it's been a little cooler. So it's been uh, kind of a refreshing break and a lot of heat this summer. But uh, it's hard to complain. We haven't had, we haven't had any disasters or climate uh, catastrophes in this area, so I think everyone's grateful for that. So let's read from Sharon's book. This might be a good one. <clears throat> Yeah, I think I'll read, there are two of these that are together, one, one after the other. This is in this, uh, inter, the first section, The Spirit of Meditation, and this is an essay on anger, and following it is Waiting to Live. I don't think I've read these before, so. And if you were having a lot of freezing on your screen, it's, I think it has to do with my, the, the speed of my uh, internet service. So it, remember if it breaks up for you and it's unpleasant, you can wait and watch it later. And once it's uploaded and either on my page or on the Blue Lotus page, I think you can watch it without any uh, freezing and any disconnections coming from my end. So. And if you are watching it later, if you do have those freezes, let me know. But most people say they don't if they listen later. Or if I watch it later, I don't see, I don't notice those at all. So here we'll read from Sharon's beautiful, her beautiful, um, beautiful sto stories on the path of loving kindness. And we know loving-kindness practice is an anti antidote for anger. So this is an article on anger, an essay. One day someone sent me a note by email asking about the nature of anger. I replied by saying, well, one of the painful things about anger is the tendency we have when we're angry to put people in a box. We bind the object of our anger, whether ourselves or another, to a certain definition and cannot see beyond it. Just after sending the reply, something went very wrong in the relationship between my computer and my printer. I can relate to that. Terribly frustrated, I got down on my hands and knees and started unplugging cords from one place and plugging them into another, trying to fix the problem. The most computer literate person on our staff 
at IMS, the Insight Meditation Society, where I live, had gone away on vacation, and I found myself feeling angry at him. My mind was so filled with thinking, why isn't he here when I need him, that I completely overlooked the fact that I had strongly urged him to go away, to take a break from IMS, and had in fact helped to arrange the trip. I was also angry at myself for not being more knowledgeable about computers, chiding myself, why can't you be the kind of person who can fix these things? In the meantime, despite my self-image, I managed to solve the problem. Soon after, I got back online and there was my correspondent again, this time saying, I don't know exactly what you mean by saying that anger leads to our putting people in boxes. <laughs> I immediately wrote back to him, describing how I had done exactly that to my computer literate friend, as well as to myself. Anger is the mind state that dislikes what is happening and strikes out against it. Anger wants to create distance and disconnection. <clears throat> it is a state of mind that does not cling to things, but rather, searching for faults, pushes away from them. Think about what happens when you feel angry. The mind gets very narrow and tight. It isolates the problem and fixates solely on someone or something. Lost in this state, we get tunnel vision and see no way out. We forget the law of change. And so we put people, ourselves, and situations in boxes. This is how it is, and this is how it's always going to be. Because we don't see many alternatives and can't imagine anything beyond our injuries or deficits, we feel overwhelmed and we panic. We lose perspective and forget that things do change. And we know that they change all the time, so we don't have to wait long to see that. Lost in anger, we tend to think we should be able to control the events of our lives. We blame ourselves when we can't, even when these events are completely outside of anyone's control. I did not make the computer and printer stop connecting properly, but I was so angry with myself for my imagined inability to fix it that I scarcely noticed I was in fact fixing it. When anger is a strong factor of mind, it is often a consequence of projecting outward our inner dissatisfaction. Everywhere we look, we see what is wrong. When we walk into a room, we are bound to see what we don't like. We don't like what that person is wearing. We don't like who that person is with. We don't like the wallpaper, and on and on. We all probably know someone who never seems satisfied in any situation, who has a perpetually soured expression on their face who is often just simply reactive. All that from the sheer habitual force, <clears throat> force of being angry. 
Anger in itself is not best viewed as bad or wrong. It is simply another state of mind that arises in reaction to circumstances. It is natural to feel angry at times, especially when confronted by cruelty or injustice. And this anger can burn through the fog of apathy that surrounds such issues. When we find ourselves in a situation where we feel ignored or unrecognized, where others have put us in a box, we might again what we might we again might well react with anger. I like that sentence. When we find ourselves in a situation where we feel ignored or unrecognized, where others have put us in a box, we, might, we again might well react with anger. Even though this is understandable, it is still painfully limiting and confusing. Our minds become narrow and our hearts shut off. We feel very alone and we may seek to gain control without perhaps fully understanding a situation. We need to understand how anger functions and how it affects us, not condemn ourselves for feeling it. Does anger give us the energy to make change in a sustained way? Does it allow us to see clearly? Does it actually enable us to control a situation, a person, our body, or our mind? Does it give us skill in making change? Or when we're angry, do we lash out in ways that prevent effective change? It's important to investigate the nature of anger because it's such a powerful energy and can be so destructive. When we can face our anger without being afraid of it or angry about it or defenseless in the face of it, then we can come close to it. When we are able to look closely at anger, we see the threads of different feelings, the sadness and the fear woven throughout it, and we can see its true nature. When we can uncover the helplessness and powerlessness that often feed anger, we transform them. Let me read that again, that's an important sentence. When we can uncover the helplessness and powerlessness that often feed anger, we transform them. In being mindful of these feelings, we actually use the sheer energy of anger without getting lost in it or overcome by its tremendously diluting and fixating quality to reveal instead the courage and compassion that have been concealed. So, being mindful of the feelings that are arising, she's saying we can, we can use the energy behind the anger to help us without getting lost in it or overcome by its tremendously diluting, diluting and fixating quality. Let it reveal instead the courage and compassion that have been concealed. So you're actually redirecting that energy behind the anger, not the anger, but the energy behind it. 
And the next one I want to read, I think they're they're good connection com- combination. Waiting to live. When I practiced meditation in Burma, we had to keep the traditional eight Buddhist precepts, which include not eating solid food after noon. After noon. In fact, with lunch served at 10 o'clock in the morning, all eating is over by 10.30 a.m. After that, there's no tea, no food, no edible distraction whatsoever. I remember the long walk from the dining room back to my room, knowing that there was going to be nothing else to eat for the rest of the entire day. What awaited me in all those hours between 10.30 in the morning and 11 at night was intensive meditation practice, just sitting and walking, sitting and walking, sitting and walking. What awaited me, whoops, in all those hours between 10.30 in the morning and 11 at night, I'm reading the same sentence. It was just the sitting and walking, sitting and walking. With every step back from that dining room in the mid-morning light, I would somehow get more and more tired. By the time I get to my room, I'd be seriously sleepy. It wasn't that I actually needed sleep, but rather the prospect of anticipated lack of stimulation was so frightening that I just wanted to lie down and forget everything. In our lives, we get used to a certain degree of stimulation. In fact, we rely on it to keep us awake, to help us feel alive. In meditation practice, as we become increasingly sensitive to subtlety, we discover how much we are experienced junkies, craving ever-increasing levels of stimulation. As we practice meditation, we get used to stillness and eventually are able to make friends with the quietness of our sensations. Still, it requires an adjustment, and in the process we often encounter intense bouts of sleepiness. In this state, known in the the Buddhist teachings as sloth and torpor, in the five hindrances, remember sloth and torpor, The mind becomes very heavy, dull, and unwieldy. There's often a feeling of boredom and disconnection from anything going on inside or outside of us. Feeling lulled to sleep while meditating, we get intensely drowsy and sluggish. At times, there's a dreamy, drifting state of consciousness. But in this mental state, there is not much awareness or energy. However, as soon as the promise of something exciting happens, such as the bell for lunch, all of our sleepiness disappears in an instant. At one point in my early days of practice, when I was living in a monastery compound in India, I was given the instruction as part of my meditation practice to make a mental note of my predominant experience. Throughout the day, I was to note whether I was sitting, standing, walking, lying down, or whatever was happening most strongly. 
I began to notice that the single most common mental note I was making was waiting. As I moved around the compound, I heard myself continually saying in my mind, waiting, waiting, waiting. I finally said to myself, what are you waiting for? In that moment, I realized I was waiting for something exciting enough or important enough or spiritual enough to happen so that I could make a mental note of it. I was living as though I were a tape recorder with the pause button on. I was waiting for life to happen later. Not being fully alive to what is happening right now is the ground of sloth and torpor. <clears throat> I like this sentence, I'll read it again. Not being fully alive to what is happening right now is the ground of sloth and torpor. <coughs> In meta, <clears throat> excuse me, this is, I did discover from my doctor yesterday that it is allergy season, so I know that's what's going on with my voice. In meditation, it manifests as sleepiness. In our daily lives, it can mean waiting for life to begin. We are capable of living much more fully than just waiting for something else to happen. Life can be more than sleeping our way through to the next exciting moment. In Burma, I finally found that the walking and sitting, sitting and walking, contained my most true and full experience. There was nothing more to wait for. In those waiting moments, my life had been actually flowering right in front of me until I stopped waiting for something else to happen. I hadn't really been able to see this. Learning to live our lives fully, awake to each moment, is the gift meditation practice can give us. I really like that. So we have, we have about 10 minutes to sit. I hope you like that. I think that uh, Waiting is how we spend a lot of time, isn't it? Waiting for the next, waiting for the next thing to just give us that stimulation, some kind of experience, or uh, we're waiting, waiting our lives away. So why don't we sit now and just, just be with maybe a thought or a sentence that popped out at you. Let your body move into that posture and position that allows you. Let your body know we're going to sit now. Kind of a change in the, what's going on. Take a few deep breaths. Bring everything to the present moment. Your body, your mind. Begin by being aware of the body breathing.
each, each breath. Breathing in and breathing out. Let your awareness be where you can feel the breath in your body, where you can feel it either around your nose or just be aware. You can even put a hand on your belly if you like. Just be aware. Each inhale, each exhale. Allow your senses, sense doors to be open. Allow your mind to just let your mind generate thoughts, but you don't need to get caught up in them. Just let them come and let them go. We're learning how to do that <clears throat> instead of letting our thoughts just take us willy-nilly everywhere. You just come back to your breath. If you do get distracted by anything, you become aware that you're not with your breath and then just come back to the breath. Let's do a very short loving-kindness practice. Reading about anger, we know the antidote is loving-kindness. So send that friendliness and loving, loving friendliness and kindness to yourself. Accept yourself just as you are. May I be well. May I be happy. May I be content. 
and may I be at peace. And when you do really feel that you do have these feelings for yourself, that they're not just words, then you know how much others want those same feelings. They want those as the conditions that they live with most of the time. So now send out this loving kindness to your loved ones. May my loved ones be well and happy and contented. May they be at peace. Just keep remembering how much these qualities, how good they feel to you. When you're in this space where you are happy, you are at peace, you are connect. <laughs> you are content, you feel connected. So you can imagine how others feel. So send out that friendliness, loving kindness to all beings everywhere, human beings and non-human beings. Just allow that quality to radiate out from you. May all beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering free from fear and worry and anxiety. May beings be able to care for themselves. May they be free from hunger and thirst. May they have shelter May they have peace. And may everything that we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all of these other living beings everywhere. Thank you. Thank you for being part of my practice and I'll be back here tomorrow.